church? Hell no. Are you no longer feeling comfortable in church? This podcast is for individuals who are desperately missing God, but don't know how to find Him. Substance abuse, domestic violence, sex offenses, acrimonious divorce can contribute to discomfort in the church. For these individuals, church is just not an option anymore. Ordained minister Dennis Hall and his guests invite you to listen to this podcast for topics that are inspiring, uplifting, and will bring hope to those who just feel church is not relevant in their lives today. I'm Dr. Dennis Hall, and I'm delighted that you're listening to our podcast today. This is a little unusual podcast for me because I feel like I just want to get some things off my chest. Um, I don't know if you had the opportunity to listen to President Biden speaking from the White House a few days ago, where he labeled Trump supporters uh, and those who embrace the populist Make America Great Again movement as semi-fascist, fascist, and, uh, and a threat to our democracy. And when he was asked by reporters what he meant by that, he sort of gruffly replied, you know what I mean. Well, you know, I think a lot of Americans, first of all, didn't even tune in or listen to this this address by the president. And I think a lot of those who did tune in had no idea what he might be talking about when he was calling his political opponents semi-fascist and uh, especially suggesting that they're a threat to our democracy. Um, If you didn't tune in, you're not alone because a lot of people didn't tune. Maybe you saw it on uh, some clips on the uh, newscast. The newscasters seem to be covering it, uh, especially his comments about his political opponents being semi-fascist. I saw a television uh, program last night where they were stopping people in the street and just asking them the question, uh, what is a fascist? Or what does it mean when someone's been called a fascist? And interestingly, almost no one knew the answer to that question. But some of us do know uh, what the term fascist means. And that's why uh, people like me were deeply offended by this, and we'll talk more about that in just a, a few minutes. And you may be wondering uh, why I'm even talking about this on a program that tries to look at issues through a biblical uh, prism. You know, during the last presidential election, there was a lot of discussion about uh, white evangelical Christians uh, supporting President Trump. And, uh, you know, since I'm an ordained minister, uh, you know, Protestant, evangelical uh, minister. One of my neighbors during that time asked me, he said, Dennis, uh, uh, what is it about this white evangelical Christian group? Uh, who are they and how would you define them? And so I told him that that this group is a group of followers of Jesus Christ who uh, consider themselves citizens of the kingdom of God and view the Bible as the infallible word of God. 
Now, that's a pretty good definition of this group. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that also. You know, uh, according to the Barner Research Group, 99% of this group I'm describing, that is, evangelical Christians, voted in the last presidential election. 99%. That's a stunning number. And 97% of them voted for President Trump, the Republican uh, candidate. You know, it's um, uh, uh, this group represents about 20 million voters. So when President Biden was making his comments uh, from the steps of the White House a few days ago uh, and labeling people who uh, who voted for Trump as semi-fascist and uh, labeling them as a threat to a democracy included in that group was Christian evangelicals who voted for Trump in a huge, huge way. Now, you might ask the question, well, as many have, since Trump's had a colorful lifestyle, I think we all know that, and he's a brash, uh, name-calling personality. He's never been actively involved in church life that I know of or than anyone knows. Uh, then why would conservative evangelical church people who attend church regularly support him? Now, I'm going to try to answer that question in a few minutes. But before we do that, I want to return to this term, fascist. Uh, you know, a, a lot of liberals and conservatives are calling each other by that name. And there seems to be a lot of confusion, especially based on what I saw on television last night, where they were asking people in the street, do you know what fascist means? And, they just had a blank stare. I know. I, I don't know what that means. And so, uh, you know, in this these contemporary times, uh, the vernacular use of that word, fascist, it just seems to be a a, a, a political insult that's uh, you know intended to call your political opponent some kind of authoritarian bully. Um, you know the term semi-fascist, the term that the president used, frankly, has no meaning. I mean, you can't go somewhere and look up, what does semi-fascist mean? You know, it's like asking, well, what's a semi-Republican or what's a semi-Democrat? Uh, what's a semi-liberal? What's a semi-conservative? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's a term, really, that doesn't make any sense. And so it really seems, sadly, that the president was using a term that was intended to be divisive and inflammatory. I can't find any other explanation for using a term like that. You know, um, for those of us who know something about uh, fascism, I don't know about you, and maybe they don't do this in schools anymore, but when I was in high school in a civics class, we were sort of forced to look at all the different forms of government around the world, including fascism. And then later in a college course, also studying the different types of governments around the world, um, 
we learned about fascism. Maybe that doesn't happen as much anymore. But you know, the fact of the matter is, um, this is a this is a political ideology that's associated with people like Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany and and uh, Benito Mussolini uh, in Italy after uh, not after but uh, before and during World War II and you know other people like um, you know Francisco Franco in in uh, Spain or Juan Perón in uh, Argentina and most and most scholars would consider uh, you know the present world regimes in uh, Russia and China and North Korea as extreme forms of fascism fascism and so uh, and so for uh, the president you know the leader of our country to toss around this label recklessly and inflame people seems to be uh, inappropriate you know in fact it was Mussolini it was Mussolini who coined the word fascism uh, in 1919, uh, the Italian word fascio, which, which really refers to a, a militant brotherhood. That's what it really, the word really refers to. You know, the former uh, Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, uh, uh, wrote a book about this subject in the uh, and she wrote that fascists, fascists now, are utterly concerned with the rights of others and are willing to use violence and whatever other means necessary to achieve the goals that he or she may have. You know, fascism resembles Marxism. You know, Marxism, sort of the foundation of communism. It res- and, it, and, and that fascism... Is a, is a political philosophy that promotes anti-capitalist economic structures and philosophical and political frameworks that uh, promote a classless society. You know, uh, right now, currently, there are 52 nations around the world that have fascist dictatorships in place. Uh, these dictatorships frequently and often lead to the nationalization of assets, like we saw in Venezuela, where there was a nationalization of the whole petroleum industry in uh, in Venezuela. Um, fascists excel at uh, propaganda, and they often demonize groups like Jews and even Christians and other ethnic uh, ethnic minorities. You know, once in power, fascists suppress individual liberties, like being able to speak out on social media. Fascists suppress that. You won't find that in place in in the countries that I've already mentioned. Uh, They frequently imprison political opponents and authorize unlimited police power, among many other things. Now, the question for us today, does any of this sound familiar in our country? Well, there are some things for us to worry about. There's no question about it, but Professor uh, 
Robert Paxton at Columbia University has said that he does not think fascism is on the rise in the United States. And he describes the current American populist movements. And we would think immediately about Make America Great Again as just traditional conservatism. Just traditional conservatism. Now, as we explore what fascism really means, you know, uh, all you have to do is uh, go to immigrants in the United States and our country who escaped fascist dictatorships around the world, and they'll tell you firsthand what a fascist is. Just ask some of our Cuban immigrants, the big Cuban population in Florida. Just ask them what fascism is and a fascist is, having escaped Cuba, having escaped Cuba and became a citizen of the United States. Or ask the exiles from Russia or China or North Korea or Vietnam or Cambodia and many of the Middle Eastern countries. They'll tell you what fascism is. They know firsthand what a fasc- uh, how a fascist behaves and what fascism is. Um, yes, we do have extreme, uh, you know, right-wing extremists in our country, and we have left-wing extremists in our country, but they are a very, very small part of our society. It's just not reasonable for people to be recklessly uh, throwing around a label like uh, fascist aimed at conservatives or, for that matter, or liberals or Republicans or Democrats um, you know, or even use the president's term, semi-fascist, whatever that means, just because people have an opposing viewpoint. This is divisive, and it's it's inappropriate, and uh, it's inflammatory. Now, I want to ask my listeners <laughs> to allow me just a a moment of personal privilege in this podcast. Um, I am an ordained evangelical Protestant minister. I'm also a veteran who served in Southeast Asia during the Vietnam War. In fact, every generation of my family since World War I has served in the military during times of conflict. My father's brother was a navigator on a B-17 flying out of England in World War II on a bombing run over fascist Italy, led by Benito Mussolini. He never returned. As they say, all gave some and some gave all. You know? My maternal grandparents immigrated from Italy to escape the fascist uh, regime of Mussolini. Now, to serve in the military means you've taken an oath. You've taken an oath to defend and uphold the Constitution of the United States, even to the point of giving your life. 
Now, I and my family, we're not special. There are millions, millions across this country just like us. Millions of America who have died and shed blood to defend our freedoms. And I just have to tell you, it was deeply offending to me to have the President of the United States to label those who had the audacity to support his opponent in the last election as semi-fascist, whatever that means, and suggest that we are a threat to the democracy. Now, I've gotten that off my chest, so let's return to the question of why, why conservative Christians voted for President Trump. Now, many in this group, like many others across the country, didn't appreciate the, the, uh, the constant use of social media by President Trump uh, to criticize his opponents and the name-calling that occurred frequently. Uh, but this group appreciated other principles that President Trump stood for. You know, they appreciated Trump's anti-abortion stance and the measures he took after he was elected the first time uh, to curb abortion in our country. You know, uh, conservative Christian evangelicals know that killing a baby in the womb is murder. Now, we don't back up from that stance. We know it's murder. Um, I had the privilege of doing a podcast about that matter uh, some time back. And all of this is confirmed by biblical teachings about the sanctity of life. It's interesting to me to hear this slogan, uh, my body, my choice, for those who uh, are pro-abortion advocates. Well, sometimes I tell people, no, in our country, it's not. We don't have that choice, even about our own bodies. If I go over in the corner and try to commit suicide, and there are people around, they're going to intervene. And they're, they're going to uh, shackle me and take me somewhere where I can get help. Because, no, it's a moral issue. Even suicide, just like abortion, it is a moral issue. And the more science we have, the more understanding we have about babies in the womb, we can clearly see that God has created a life in that womb. And it needs to be, that life needs to be uh, protected. You know, Trump has been outspoken about religious freedom. Religious freedom. And you wonder, why do we even need to be talking about religious freedom in our country? Well, to start with, 59% of conservative evangelicals feel that they are persecuted and discriminated against here in the United States. You know, uh, uh, in Matthew 5, Jesus told us 
that that would be the case, that his followers, his followers indeed would be uh, persecuted and discriminated against. You know, Christians have been mocked and made fun of right here in America in the public square, uh, frequently being called homophobes, xenophobes, hate mongers, among other things. In other words, there's something wrong with Christian people. Well, consider during this recent COVID lockdown, what happened to churches all across America that were forced to close while casinos and strip clubs were allowed to stay open. Nobody can provide any kind of scientific uh, justification for this kind of action to close down churches but allow the strip club down the road to remain open. What is going on here? Well, I can tell you what's going on. We're in the midst of some serious spiritual warfare. You know, for years, private Christian businesses have been dragged to court, targeted uh, for destruction by the what's known as the LGBTQ movement. I think many of us followed the story of Jack Baker, a baker, excuse me, Jack Phillips, a baker, who was harassed over a decade, bombarded with uh, requests to produce profane cakes for the LBGTQ community. And he was hauled to court over and over again, trying simply trying to run his business as a Christian. You know, it's sad. Eventually, um, you know, the Supreme Court supported uh, his position. Then you had the Mrs. Uh, Stoltzman, a florist, who refused to compromise her faith uh, by participating in the celebration of sin. You know, uh, she was eventually forced into retirement over this whole issue. A Christian forced into retirement by trying to practice her religion. Then recently, we heard about uh, Coach Joe Kennedy. He was fired because he had the audacity to pray in public on a football field. It took seven years, seven years for him to fight his case uh, legally. And finally, the Supreme Court ruled that, yes, under our First Amendment, his right to pray was protected. Thank goodness for a Supreme Court that has constitutionalists on it. And then remember under the Obama administration, uh, the Little Sisters of the Poor, they were prosecuted because they refused to pay in their insurance program uh, for abortion contraceptives. They were opposed to abortion. And, of course, today we have chemicals that people can buy to cause an abortion in the early term, and, and they refused. It took them a decade fighting against this 
for the Supreme Court to finally rule in their favor. And then don't forget uh, the IRS being caught targeting Christian nonprofits. What they were doing is they were giving uh, tax-exempt nonprofit status to other uh, nonprofit organizations, but uh, refusing to rule on requests by Christian nonprofits. You know, Christians have been passed over for promotions because they refused to uh, put the pride flag on their cup holder during the month of June. Uh, many other Christians know that they are unlikely to ever get promoted beyond a certain point in uh, major corporations simply for being openly committed to the sexual ethics of their faith. You know, and now we're hearing reports of Christians being fired for believing God's word, that God made men as men and women as women, and only those two genders. Because you have that conviction, your employment is in jeopardy. You know, now we find Christians working <laughs> in environments that are trying to force them to tell lies by addressing a male with a female pronoun. And many Christians are saying, no, I am not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Um, and so, again, they're threatened. And then what about churches and, and uh, synagogues and all across the country, especially since this recent uh, uh, action by the Supreme Court and, and their action was really just to send the abortion issue back to the states to be decided by each individual state. That's all the Supreme Court did. But it resulted in vandalism of churches, Catholic churches, and other houses of worship across the country. So you ask, you know, are Christians being singled out in our society? Are attacks being made on them? Yes. And then, uh, following following that ruling, we also saw the Christian uh, the Christian crisis pregnancy centers across America, you know, threatened, vandalized, far firebombed, uh, uh, people who worked there uneasy about their own safety, uh, just because they are a Christian. We live in a society where if you're not woke, as they say, uh, you're likely to be canceled, canceled. Um, and uh, it's uh, just just amazing to be in this place where we are. You know, Trump's support for religious freedom, freedom, excuse me, made him a very attractive candidate to conservative Christian evangelicals. Um, uh, Romans 13 teaches Christians, uh, that our authorities have been established by God and Trump has taken a strong position, uh, supporting law and order 
and the rule of law. No defunding the police for Trump. He supports obeying the U.S. Constitution and pledged to place constitutional jurists on the Supreme Court, and he followed through. You know, Trump advocated securing the southern border with technologies to assist our border control, as well as erecting a fence. And Christian conservatives largely supported this effort, not simply because a sovereign country ought to have the right and the ability to determine who can legally enter the country, but because the current southern border situation has created an open avenue for uh, illegal drugs, fentanyl, and, and other illegal drugs to enter this nation in amounts that is killing tens of thousands of our citizens. And, uh, you know, these drug cartels are finding all kinds of ways to move illegal drugs across this southern border. In addition to that, we have all kinds of human trafficking going on at the southern border. Uh, These are people who are being moved into this United States and being forced into the sex trades, uh, having to send money back to the cartels. Uh, We know that the majority of women and children uh, who make this dangerous journey to cross the border illegally are sexually abused in this journey. Uh, we now even are finding what people are referring to as rape trees, rape trees, where the underwear of women and children are hung in the trees just to taunt the border patrol, uh, border patrol authorities. You know, the, the problems at the southern border are moral issues. They're moral issues, and they're troubling to Christian evangelicals. Uh, It's just a shameful situation that we have at our southern border, and it's all been created by creating an environment by governmental policy. And now we have some of our political leaders who want to radically transform our government Uh, There's discussions about packing the court with additional jurors or repealing the uh, the uh, legislative filibuster, you know, uh, uh, abolishing the Electoral College, making mail in voting uh, permanent or bestowing uh, statehood on Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico. Why? Just to achieve some additional left left leaning senators and at least two more representatives. And some, unbelievably, are even advocating throwing out the Constitution because they think it stands in the way of real freedom and democracy. Now, these things are viewed as totalitarian efforts by the conservative evangelical community. Now, Christians, Christians in our society still have the privilege of opposing out-of-control leaders, and that includes the right to vote, our freedom of expression, speech, and the right uh, to assemble. You know, it's important for Christians to be a part of the debate about who our national leaders are. Now, let me say this as this podcast winds down. I want to say this to President Biden. There is nothing even remotely fascist 
are, in your words, semi-fascist about the Republican Party, conservative leaders, or those who embrace Make America Great Again movements. Now, if you're listening to this podcast today and consider yourself a God-fearing Christian, you and me and others like us are facing fierce cultural headwinds. You need to find a strong and safe refuge from the storm where you can find and retreat to spiritual renewal each and every week in a local church. Find a Bible-believing church, a gospel-preaching local church, and join. You need to understand that we're in a spiritual war and a dedicated band of Christian soldiers is needed to help in this fight. And let me just say this, in the tradition of Winston Churchill, never, 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 never give up or compromise. Stand your ground. Do not compromise your faith in Christian truths found in the Scripture. Thank you, and God bless you for listening to this podcast.